We pray. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, that you have given us your word, you've given us your Holy Spirit so we can draw closer to you and understand you better. And I pray that we will open our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears to what you have to say to us today so that we can be your people in your son's name. Amen. Well, today we're doing a bit of an open discussion. And the focus I wanted to give to this, or at least start with in this open discussion, is a question that many people wrestle with. And I would be surprised if if the majority of people here haven't wrestled with this question at some point. And I know it's an issue for people in the community who don't know God that they wrestle with this question as well. And it's become quite apparent as we read through Jeremiah. Um, And so I wanted to take a pause this week with the open discussion and at least start with this question and, and, and see what we can do with it. And the question is, is the God of the Old Testament the same God of the New Testament? And the reason I want to ask that Because the theological answer is, oh, yes, of course. (laughs) And that's where some people are happy to leave it. Yes, of course. Old Testament, New Testament, same book, same God. But when you actually read through, and and as we've been reading through Jeremiah, some of the the things that Jeremiah's been saying to God's own people have been quite brutal. And the punishment that he's threatening to them have been quite graphic. Would you not agree? And we, we, we look at this God in the Old Testament and even when you leave God speaking to his own people like we've been doing in Jeremiah and God commands his people as they invade the land to go and kill a whole whack of other people, we go, that's not very loving. But then we get to Jesus in the New Testament and everything seems to be about love. And is it the same God in the Old Testament and the New Testament? And if we conclude it's the same God, did he kind of take a pause at the end of the Old Testament? There was about 400 years where he didn't, um, where there's a silence in the Bible. Did he spend that 400 years going, well, plan A hasn't worked. Maybe I need to go to plan B. I know, the angry thing didn't work, so maybe I'll try the love thing and see how, see how people respond to love. And so that's, that's where I want to go today, ask the question, is it the same God? And what's people's first response when I say that? He is the same God. Well, that's a good start. He is. Who's wrestled with that question over the years? How do we we equate, how do we balance out the God of the Old Testament with all this judgment and all this bloodshed and invading and I'm going to, with the New Testament?
So the, the, the discrepancy is more based in Old Covenant, New Covenant sort of thing. Is that what you're saying? No, oh, no, no. No, no, but that's... Didn't go for a plan B. <laughs> okay. Yep. So if if Jesus comes at the right time, which we would need to agree with if we think that he's actually God, God doesn't make mistakes. So how do we equate some of these judgments and this prophecy? I mean, what Ian read out today, the people of Judah have done evil in my eyes, declares the Lord. They have set up their detestable idols in the house that bears my name and have defiled it. And he goes on, so beware, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer call it uh, Topeth or va Valley of Ben-Hinnon, but the Valley of Slaughter, for they will bury the dead until there is no more room. Then the carcasses of this people will become food for the birds and wild animals. He's not talking about some random jokers. They're his people. He's talking about the people of Judah. These aren't this is the same God that the New Testament is often characterized as loves everyone. What do we think of that? In the secrets, secret little places where you can be completely honest with yourself, what do you think about a God that is going to cause such bloodshed to, to his own people, not even his enemies? Is it? It's a pretty brutal discipline. It's. Can you see where we, where I'm going with this? This discipline, this this judgment, this bloodshed, this punishment, is. Doesn't sound very loving, does it? It sounds quite the opposite of loving. And if we go back to Genesis. And we start at verse 26, just to for a couple of verses. Verse 26 of chapter 1, Then God said, this is in the very beginning, He's just created the heavens, the earth, the animals, the trees, the seas, He's created it all. Then He says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. For God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So originally, God's plan was what? Pardon? Perfect. Yep, it was. It was absolutely perfect. And what was his intent by making humans, mankind, in his image? To work with him? Worship, yep. Worship and 
have a relationship with him. Have a relationship. And so originally, you have this creation, this perfect creation that worships him and has a relationship with him. And then we go forward a few books and God threatening judgment, punishment, bloodshed. There's going to be so much dead that the, there's going to be no one to frighten off the birds and the wild animals. And then we fast forward a few, another period of time and then Jesus talks about love. Why it seems as though there's two very or even three distinct stages in our relationship with God. But does it make sense? Have you ever asked these questions before? Or do we fit into the, well, that's what the Bible says, so therefore that's what I'm going to believe, but never actually questioned it and wrestled with it. Because this is one of the big, big stumbling blocks for people who don't know God. There's a lot of people in the community who will point to the Old Testament and they will say, that God's not very loving, but the New Testament God is loving, therefore, I'm a, if I'm going to believe anything from the Bible, I'm only going to believe the New Testament. Old Testament can go. And if we've never wrestled with it ourselves then it makes it really hard to relate and listen and help someone who doesn't know God to work through this. If we've never wrestled with it ourselves. And that's why I wanted to wrestle with this today. Yes, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. We read that in chapter 3. Caused a break, caused this perfect creation to be broken and then we fast forward and the rebelling against God is an outworking of that sin which we still see today so how do we then understand what God is talking about in say Jeremiah Is there a way of understanding it? As limited as we are as people, is, is there a way we can understand it? I'll give you a hint. Those who are parents should understand it real well. See, can it be understood in terms of Disciplining your child. God, from the very outset, loved his creation. From the moment we sinned, has been working to bring it back into the right relationship with him, which is the perfect timing for Jesus. But the, the Old Testament's not God being nasty. It's God revealing himself and disciplining 
just like as parents we discipline our kids. I can assure you that when we discipline Manny, and I know that may shock some of you, that because Manny's such the perfect kid, <laughs> a few years, <laughs> it's already been some kids' church, haven't you? <laughs> but he's not a perfect kid. I wasn't a perfect kid either, believe it or not. <laughs> I know that comes as a shock. <laughs> There's a reason why mum's not here today. <laughs> She'll completely blow my cover. But discipline is never fun. It's not fun if you're being disciplined. And Manny certainly lets us know he's not appreciative of it, the discipline we give him. But as parents, do you enjoy disciplining your children? Is it fun to ground them or say no TV or they don't want to eat dinner that night? You go, okay, well, there's your bedroom, starve. There's one meal that gets cooked tonight and you either eat it or you don't. Is that fun for a parent to do? No. So... What makes us think that God enjoys it when he is disciplining his children? Do we think that God's up there in heaven going, SWAT rebelled? Yeah, they rebelled! Booyah! <laughs> I get to punish them again. He's not. God doesn't like disciplining his children just like we don't like disciplining our children and some people at this point will go well hold a sec that's not very fair it's not very fair because we're sinful people and God's disciplining us for being sinful yeah but they go we can't help it if we sin and that's where we get into predestination free will but free will sin is always free will you can choose to do whatever you choose to do one of the i mentioned to graham when he first arrived today this is what we're going to be talking about and graham goes it's hard to understand that when god commands his people to go into another country and kill people and what not you ever wrestle with that one what'd you come up with what was that they're still all part of his creation So it's all part of God's plan and we don't... 
It is. It is a real struggle to to wrestle with that and to try and fully understand why God would command that. And we're probably y- you're probably right. We're probably never fully going to grasp it. But could it be that we've actually got a slightly wrong perspective on things as well? From the from the perspective, let me explain that. We say as Christians, as, as followers of Christ, we say God is love. And we say God is great and God is all powerful. We say all these things. Does is God love because he operates within the definition of what love is? Or is God love because he defines love? See, God doesn't operate within what is love. We look at a dictionary and we go, okay, that's what love is. And God doesn't have a tick list that goes, well, love is this, 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 and this. Tick, 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 tick. I must be love. It's the other way around. God actually defines what love is. Now, you might be going, okay, well, that's, that's great, but what does that mean? God defines fair. He is not defined by fair in terms of a tick list. So when we go, well, that's not very fair, God, that these things, you've done these things, you've pronounced these judgments, or you've, that's not fair, God. What you're saying is, God, I have this definition of fair, you need to tick my boxes. But that's not how it operates, that's not how it works. God doesn't tick boxes. God writes the sentences that defines what fair is, what love is. We have the cart before the horse when we try and say to God, that's not fair, that's not love, that's not... We get it the wrong way around. and We need to reverse that if we're truly going to understand God better. A hundred years ago, I, I heard this during the week, but just to finish on that, as I, as I mentioned last week, and it's rather appropriate to get it at the moment, if you think you're not worthy of another chance from God, don't worry, you weren't worthy of the first chance. And if we think that what God's doing is not fair, Who are we to tell God what is fair and what is not fair? By by saying that, you are literally putting yourself in charge of God and saying, God, you need to jump through these hoops. And so when we compare the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, we're actually saying it, we have our our hoops, you need to jump through them. 
if we're going to start saying God's being unfair in the Old Testament. But if we move on and look at the New Testament a bit, a hundred years ago, people wanted to be thought, generally speaking, people wanted to be thought of as good people. As good people. Then in about the 80s, there was a bit of a change in society and people wanted to start to find their true identity. Who am I really? And lately, um, it's been taking a bit of a change again to people wanting to find their own truth. What is true for me? And what is true for you is wonderful for you, but that's not my truth. And as a, as a community, as people, as individuals, we're trying to find who we are, where we fit, and all the rest. And it's only within Jesus that we can find that. Jesus is the natural flow on from the Old Testament, as what was said. You have this God who's disciplining his children, and as children we don't like discipline, never have, never will, but you have this God who's disciplining his children, but the discipline of his children still doesn't actually provide a way back to that perfect creation we read about in Genesis, does it? Or does it? The judgment in the Old Testament, can that provide a way back to the perfect creation that was described in Genesis 1 and 2? No. Because the sin, sin still exists. And so that's, it's all been leading up to that. But we read in Acts... And that's where Paul's talking in Athens. He's preaching in Athens. And Athens was full of ideas, of people debating various philosophical perspectives, various gods, various... They even had a god, uh, an uh, altar set up to an unknown god. Just in case... We've forgotten someone. And the Roman culture was that you could have your own God that you worship as long as you worshipped these other gods that the emperor and the Roman authorities said you had to worship. And so often people were worshipping numerous gods and no one cared. So long as you worship those gods, you can worship whatever other god you want. And where the Christians were getting offside, where the early followers were getting offside and getting into trouble was they were saying that they're not gods. There's one God and that's where the Roman authorities really started having a problem. So if we look at the picture from perfect creation to the discipline of throughout the Old Testament 
of God as a parent disciplining his creation, trying to bring them back to him, knowing that it was never going to be a perfect thing. Does that raise the question in your mind, can anyone from the Old Testament be saved? We're quite good as Christians in 2022 saying no one can earn their salvation. You're right, we can't. So does that mean no one in the Old Testament can be saved because they can't earn their salvation because they were before Jesus? No. Abraham was saved by faith. What are the, what are the two commandments summarised? The, 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 the whole, whole list of commandments? Jesus summarised them into two. Love your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbour as yourself. In other words, ultimately, there were all these laws that had come in, but ultimately what defined all of them? What's in your heart? Do I genuinely want to try and please God? And so in the New Testament, that becomes a bit more formal, but it's really just an extension of the Old Testament where God's going, I want you to love me. And the discipline in the Old Testament, which seems very harsh and very unfair, is actually just an extension of God going, come back to me because you are rebelling. You are running away from me. Just like we do or did to our parents. Go do your homework. No. Turn the TV off. No. Time for a shower. I don't want to. I'm already clean. There's all sorts of things that we do. And we're very, we're very relative. And I'm going to wrap this up soon. Because we find that, and we see it all around us, that more and more today it's being pushed that truth is relative. That's true for you. But that's not true for me. And many people push the idea that truth is relative. There is no absolute truth anymore. Ever had someone say that to you? Truth is relative? There's one very simple question if someone ever says that to you. Truth is relative. That's good for you, but truth is all just relative now. You sure on that? Truth is relative, are you sure? If they answer no, say, well, go away and get clear with what you think. If they say yes, yes, absolutely, truth is all relative. Well, you just contradicted yourself. But truth is absolute. Perspective can be relative. We can all sit in this room as we are now and we all have a different perspective on what's going on at the moment. Some will be going, can you just stop? <laughs> Let's sing another song. Others will be going, I'm really thirsty. Wouldn't mind a coffee. There'll be others going, hmm, what am I doing this afternoon? <laughs> we all have our own different perspective, but truth is not relative. 
There was this person I know, and I'm going to finish with this. There was this person I know who was under some serious charges, very serious charges, and through relationships, I was involved in the process of the police investigation. And... um, I was speaking to one of the chief prosecutors one day on the phone and and, and they had called me as a witness in this particular case. And the prosecutor said to me, what do you want out of this case? And I knew both parties quite well. And I said, I just want the truth to come out. That's my personal perspective on this. I just want the truth to come out, whatever that truth is. And the, this chief prosecutor said to me, well, you, you know that may not happen. I said, I'm aware that it may not happen, but you asked me what I wanted. That's what I want. He goes, let me explain it to you like this. He goes, you and I are standing outside a pub one night. Words get spoken. I push you, you push me. Punches are thrown. Gets broken up. And... The police come down and go, what happened? I say you hit me, you say I hit you. Fact is, we had a fight. That's the hard truth. Yes, that's probably, that's that's, that's what this case is really like. I said, but it's not. I said, the fact is that at some point, it started. Now, You can define how start is. Did it start with words? Did it start with pushing? Did it start at the point where a punch was thrown? But either way, at some point, it started. And the fact is, at some point, we need to accept that God is above our reasoning. It is not a relative thing where we can define fair to God, we can define love to God and have God jump through these hoops. We need to accept that God is above us. Let me finish with just a reading from John. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remained in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And at the end of the day, there will be many people who will never accept God, not because there is no God, but because they are so set in their mindset that I am boss of my life. But it is the one God throughout the whole of the Bible. He is a loving Father that created everything not out of need but out of desire. And the Old Testament seems brutal at times, and it can be. But to say that's not fair, you can't do that, God, is to put ourselves ahead of God. But just at the perfect time, Jesus came in love because we could not be disciplined enough. We could not do what we needed to do to restore that perfect creation. And as we live out that love, which is what God is ultimately in the community, we should be known as people of love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are all loving and it doesn't always take the shape that we understand love to be. But that's not because you are faulty, but because our understanding's faulty. And that's what faith is about. Having faith in you, that you are God and we are not God. And so we pray that we can live out in our community what you desire and that we can bear fruit so that we can bring you honour and glory like you deserve it. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.